You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. This is an episode on the heart. It's obviously one of the most important organs in our bodies, but the degree to which we understand the human heart and all the things that it's connected to is still covered in a lot of mystery. And it's also something that's wildly misunderstood. Now, we have a couple of big problems with this because my very first episode of the Model Health Show, show number one, this is over five years ago, I dedicated to heart health, high blood pressure, hypertension, all of those things. And here we are five years later, and we've barely made a dent. I have to change this, right? Literally thousands of people each month go back and listen to uh, those earlier episodes, including that first episode. And big shout out to you guys. But I wanted to revisit this with some updated information. And now that the show is as big and as powerful as it is, I'm really hoping that this information today can really help to change and transform our relationship and our understanding of what it takes to have great heart health. And again, this is very important because this is still the leading cause of death in our society today. So let me give you a couple of statistics right off the bat. Number one, about 630,000 Americans die from heart disease each and every year. That's one out of every four deaths is due to heart disease. Coronary heart disease is actually the most common type of heart disease, which kills about 366,000 people every single year. Now in coronary heart disease, the arteries carrying blood to the heart become lined with plaque. And this plaque causes the arteries to narrow so that less oxygen is actually able to reach the heart. And so the heart begins to malfunction. And when the heart doesn't receive enough oxygen, chest pain can result, also known as angina, or a heart attack can occur. So a couple of other different types of heart disease are congestive heart failure. And this occurs when the heart is not able to pump sufficient oxygen-rich blood to meet the needs of the rest of the body. Now, this can be due to a lack of force of the heart being able to pump, or it can be a result of the heart not being able to fill with enough blood. And we're going to go through all of these different things to really understand how the heart actually works and the jobs that it's doing as we get into the episode today. But I just wanted to give you a little heads up. And so some people actually have both of those problems. Another heart disease can be heart muscle disease or cardiomyopathy. And this causes the heart to be less able to pump blood throughout the body and often results in heart failure. So in the U.S. alone, someone has a heart attack every 40 seconds. So just since the beginning of this episode, more than a dozen people have had heart attacks here in the U.S. And each minute here in the U.S., more than one person dies from a heart disease-related event. Now, heart disease, again, is the leading cause of death, but also for most racial ethnic groups in the United States, including Hispanics, African-Americans, and Caucasians as well. Heart disease costs the United States about $200 billion each year. And this includes the total cost of the healthcare services, medications, and loss of productivity. So it's a big issue. It's big for us personally, big for our families, big for our communities, and big for our economy as well. And so I also have a very personal connection to this particular topic because I lost my grandfather 
to this condition. He had multiple open heart surgeries and he passed away way too young. And so this is something I definitely want to help to enlighten us and and the culture about so that we can put an end to this. This no longer needs to be the leading cause of death in our culture. And it's just about getting educated and becoming empowered and understanding, first of all, how does this stuff work to demystify it? And also, what are some very practical things that we can do to maintain a healthy heart? And so we're going to get into that today because, listen, it's called heart disease, but that's a huge umbrella statement that encompasses many different facets of the human body, as you'll understand today. So to start my day, so I know I was going to be talking about the heart. I went and looked at a study. This study found that coffee, drinking coffee, was associated with a reduced risk for heart failure, stroke, and coronary heart disease. For coffee drinkers, every eight ounce cup per day reduced risk by 7%, 8% for the second cup, and then it drops down to 5% respectively, compared to people who don't drink coffee, all right? So I wanna make this clear. The first two cups, you get benefit from the first cup, get benefit from the second cup, 1% increase, but then the, the benefits drop after that. So that tells you one to two cups a day is that sweet spot for drinking El Cafeino. I don't even know if that's how you say it, but so listen, for me, this is something that I swore off since, a, since childhood. I was like, I'm never, I'm never going to drink coffee. And it was a little over a year ago that my wife kept raving about the Four Sigmatic coffee and I got on board. All right. So today I had my organic Four Sigmatic coffee, because with this said, we get these benefits, but also there can be some downside when we're not doing these things the right way. So we want to avoid pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, all these different things that are sprayed on these popular crops like coffee beans, because these are neurogenic or estrogenic compounds that inherently affect our endocrine system, our nervous system, and our heart. All right. So it's no bueno, no good. All right. Now, that's the number one reason that I use Four Sigmatic. Plus, the next thing is it's combined with other things that are great for your heart. The Journal of Ethnopharmacology published fascinating research showing that the medicinal mushroom chaga significantly decreases the expression of a protein complex, NFKB, that activates inflammation in the body. And as you're going to discover today, inflammation is a huge component contributing to heart disease. All right. So it's got chaga in my coffee with the coffee in the coffee. Put those together, magic happens. All right, that's why I love, love, love my Four Sigmatic, and that's what I had today. I had the Lion's Mane blend with chaga and Lion's Mane, and chaga is actually prescribed as a treatment for cardiovascular disease in several other countries. And our modern science here and various studies are just beginning the last couple of decades to push more data out to the culture at large. And you can go to Dr. Google and look at this stuff. It's so fascinating. And talking about the benefits of something that you don't need a prescription, all right? This is something that comes right from nature. And the reason that I use Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee is that they do a dual extract. So they're doing a hot water extract and an an alcohol extract to actually get all the good stuff that you want from the medicinal mushroom and delivering it to you. Super easy, instant packs. You just open it up, pour it in in your cup, hot water, hot almond milk, whatever you're into, all right? I like a little MCT oil in there and maybe a couple, if you want to get fancy, a couple of drops of stevia, maybe English toffee, chocolate, 
right? You get fancy. Cinnamon, I had some cinnamon today as well. And enjoy the process of getting well, right? All this heart healthy goodness in my cup to start my day. All right, so definitely check them out. Foursigmatic.com forward slash model. You get 15% off everything. Their medicinal mushroom coffees, elixirs, hot cocos. So good, all right? That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com forward slash model for 15% off everything that they carry all the time. All right, so definitely pop over, check them out, foursigmatic.com forward slash model. Now let's get to the iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled, Don't Judge a Podcast by Its Cover by Rachel Abigail. You don't have to have six-pack abs to listen to this podcast. I've been listening to Sean for two years and have learned so much, not only about physical health, but emotional health as well. Sean is a wealth of knowledge, a great teacher, and keeps it fun and entertaining to listen to. I feel so grateful that he cares enough to get these messages out and is committed to having only the best guest on his show. Because of his show and a handful of the guests he has had on, I am on a path to living my best life. Thank you. Wow, Rachel, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that and taking the time to leave that review over on Apple Podcasts. That means everything. I appreciate it so very much. And everybody, please, if you yet to do so, pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show or whatever platform you're listening on, whether it's Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you can leave a review for the show, please do so. Or if you're watching the video, you're hanging out in the studio with me, leave a comment below and let everybody know what you think of the show. And on that note, let's get to our topic of the day. This episode, we're diving in and looking at how we can heal America's heart problems and really the world at large. And this is such a pervasive issue, but getting rid of the mystery behind it and understanding this incredible organ that's right now beating inside of your body, providing you with life and really understanding it. I think it's one of the most important things that we can do, but also looking at the science and some of these risk factors and revealing what control them, whether or not they're even an issue in the first place, things like blood pressure and cholesterol, And so we can really become empowered about understanding our own heart health and be able to live a long and healthy and prosperous life because that's what it's really all about. So with that said, let's look at some of the science of our hearts. So first of all, how big is the heart? How big is the heart? Your heart is going to be just about the size of a fist. All right. Just about the size of your fist. Unless you have teeny little baby hands, then it might be a little bit bigger than that. All right. So that's about the size of the heart. Now, it weighs on average less than about 10 ounces. That's nuts. Something that has so much influence on our health and our well-being, less than 10 ounces. Also, it possesses a certain level of intelligence. Your heart has a certain level of intelligence that we're only beginning to understand. And we're going to dive more into that in a moment. But first, let's look at what is the heart made of? Your heart is muscle. It's made of muscle. It's a certain type of muscle tissue called cardiac muscle, also known as myocardium, myo denoting muscle, is one of three types of vertebrate muscles. So the other two are skeletal muscle and smooth muscles. Now, this type of muscle, this cardiac muscle, it's involuntary, right? So this is beating whether you want it to or not. It's just doing its thing. And it's also striated muscle that constitutes the main tissue walls of your heart. So it's got those striations, all right? So you want to get that ripped heart. No, you don't. That's different. 
So your heart, you want to make sure that you're understanding, number one, this is cardiac muscle. It's slightly different from our skeletal muscle and smooth muscle. It's unique to our hearts, but it's striated muscle, muscle and it's involuntary muscle. Whereas like your bicep, you can voluntarily activate your bicep, right? Now, what does your heart actually do? All right, we know that it's a muscle. What does it do? Well, I liken our hearts to being sort of like one of the big components of the heart is being like a double pump, right? It's a double pump. It's not just pumping, doing one thing. It's doing two different things back to back, right? It's really, really fascinating. So I want you to picture your heart. Right? I want you to picture your heart as being like a four family flat, right? This is a four family flat. It's four apartment units, two on top, two on the bottom. The top units are called the atriums, all right? These are the atriums. The bottom units are the ventricles, all right? So if you're looking down at your heart, the top apartment, all right, the top atrium on the left side, that is the left atrium. And your heart sends oxygenated blood from the lungs into the left atrium and out of the left ventricle. So that's that downstairs apartment. And then from there, it's distributed throughout the rest of the body. Super important stuff, getting that oxygenated blood throughout your entire body. Now, deoxygenated blood enters the heart through the right atrium and then flows to the right ventricle where it gets pumped into the lungs to be oxygenated again and going through that same process. Now, all this happens within a single pump, all right? A single pump. This is the real little pump right here, all right? And this is happening at an average of 72 beats per minute. Each minute, your heart pumps 1.5 gallons of blood. This little organ, this powerhouse organ, does all that work. Now, this equates to a couple billion beats in the average person's lifetime. Your heart is beating a couple billion times. Absolutely incredible. Now, again, remember, this is muscle tissue, so it's, it's contracting, right? It's doing this, it's, it's literally pumping, right? But it's involuntary. So I just want to throw in here really quickly a, a fun fact that I came across in the research, and I really actually just never thought about this. We've heard of various types. Now, heart disease being the, the leading killer in our culture right now, cancer is second. Have you ever heard of heart cancer, right? Why do we not hear about heart cancer very much, if at all? And this is because your heart cells stop dividing pretty early in our lifetime. That's really interesting, isn't it? So just a little fun fact there. Heart is incredibly complex and a hyper-intelligent organ. And now we're going to look at some of the components that we usually tie to heart health and potential heart disease. And one of those things being blood pressure, right? I got high blood pressure. This is one of those things that it's correlated with heart problems. So when you think about blood pressure, you probably think about your heart, but it's not our heart that's actually controlling our blood pressure. To a large degree, it's actually controlled, our blood pressure is controlled by our brain and our kidneys, right? Our brain and our kidneys. There's a hormone called antidiuretic hormone that's made by your hypothalamus, which is really known as the governor of your endocrine system which is in your brain, and then is stored in your posterior pituitary gland. Now, this hormone constantly regulates and balances the amount of water that's in your blood. So obviously, water is a huge component of your blood. 
and its thickness, thinness, the viscosity, it's super important in having a, a healthy blood pressure. So high water concentrations increase the volume and pressure of your blood, right? Which can be a good thing because we don't want our blood pressure to be too low either, right? We need to get it moving to and from the heart in a good flow. So it's a balance, right? So we need the right amount of hydration. Now, antidiuretic hormone essentially causes the epithelial cells that line your kidneys to move water in and out, back and forth uh, from your bloodstream or passing it out via urine. So if you're dehydrated, your cells can actually, these aquaporin, these kind of protein channels, can migrate basically hydration in your body that's going to end up being pee, it can migrate that back into your system. So it's kind of like pre-pee, all right? So you, it can take some pre-pee, which is kind of gross, and if you're dehydrated, push that back into your system to try to keep your blood pressure elevated. Why would we do this to ourselves? I don't want pre-pee circulating in me, all right? Make sure we're getting hydrated, super easy. We're wondering why we have blood pressure problems. Drink water, right? But on the other side, obviously, is when the blood pressure is too high. And when this happens, the kidneys respond by extracting water and salts into the urine, causing the blood volume and hence your blood pressure to fall. So this is one thing. Now, there's another issue with being dehydrated. It can lower blood pressure too much, but it also can elevate it depending on the person and the situation because of these kind of total dissolved solids. Things can start to get backed up in the bloodstream causing the blood pressure to elevate because of the stress hormones that get released when dehydration is, is, is signaling and reacting in your body. So I hope that makes sense. So there's gonna be a stress component when you're dehydrated that can actually increase your blood pressure. So a lot of people, myself included, just coming up, living my life, you know, when I was going through school and, you know, middle school, high school, and it wasn't until I got towards the end of college that I understood that Blood pressure isn't controlled by the heart. It's actually your brain and your kidneys are constantly analyzing and monitoring the blood pressure, the, the, the constitution of your blood and sending resulting signals to help to balance things out continuously. So with that said, being that it's governed by your brain, your blood pressure can be shifted or changed based on perceptions, based on stress. Stress is a huge influence on the function of your hypothalamus. It's not just responsible for um, fluid intake or, or signals. It's also hunger signals. It's also uh, hot and cold. It's also responding to um, perceived stress and all these different things that can literally change your blood pressure. Your blood pressure, as you're gonna learn today, can be changed based on what you're thinking, and your literal, your state and how you're showing up in the world. You can change your blood pressure within seconds. Now we know this as kind of anecdotally that somebody's blood pressure can get elevated when they're mad, right? You're upset, you're, my blood pressure is boiling, right? My blood is boiling. On the other side, when we can relax, we literally see this shift from this sympathetic fight or flight to the parasympathetic kind of rest and digest system that often is correlated with a decrease in our blood pressure, right? Super fascinating stuff, super fascinating. And understanding that it's not just our food, it's not just our water, it's not exercise, but literally stress can be something that is a deterrent of your blood pressure. Now we're gonna continue to unpack this and make more sense of all this stuff. But first I wanna talk about another thing that 
often isn't talked about in the same sentence or even in the same, uh, in the same idea complex, which is your blood sugar. We talk about blood pressure. We don't talk about blood sugar. And these things inherently influence each other. Why are these things not considered together in our minds? So what I want you to do is write this down. I want you to write this down. Blood pressure rises in response to elevated insulin levels. All right? Blood pressure rises in response to elevated insulin levels. This is a direct translation to how your diet influences your blood pressure. And this is immediate, right? And we know that insulin is activated when we're uh, consuming carbohydrates, primarily carbohydrates. Protein can do it too, but it's primarily through carbohydrate consumption. And so a heavy carbohydrate, especially processed carbohydrates, especially liquid carbohydrates can significantly elevate our blood pressure and cause some severe problems. Now, we've talked about this many times on the show, and we'll put a couple of episodes in the show notes where we covered in depth the topic of diabetes and natural solutions for insulin resistance and diabetic conditions. All right, so we'll put that in the show notes. But one of the big things to understand is that insulin is one of the most important hormones for the functioning of the human body. It's how your cells are actually able to kind of store energy. It's super important. But when it's abnormally produced, could be major problems, major, major problems. Because without insulin, our cells can't get energy. And insulin becomes resistant over time when your blood is constantly bombarded with high levels of glucose. And so this glucose is this conversion over into our bloodstream from the carbohydrates that we're consuming, primarily from carbohydrates. And so what happens is, over time, high blood glucose, seen in conditions like diabetes, or that we can do with a super big gulp, right, of Mountain Dew, do the dew that we can do, right, like you literally do this to yourself right now, over time can damage the, the blood glucose. So hear this, this is how it's related to heart disease. High blood glucose can damage your blood vessels and the nerves that control your heart. Okay, I'm going to say that again. High blood glucose can damage your blood vessels and the nerves that control your heart. In adults with diabetes, the most common causes of death are heart disease and stroke, right? We know that diabetes is a huge issue. It's way up there. It's like number four or five on the causes of death. It's usually connected back to heart disease, right? This is, and this just has to stop. It has to stop. I, I didn't say that eating avocados, I didn't say that that's a big issue. I'm talking about processed carbohydrates and a, a carb-heavy diet in general is going to wreak havoc on our blood sugar and thus our blood pressure as well. So we're going to dive in a little bit deeper here. We're going to talk about the connection with heart disease and this dirty C word. I know what you're thinking. It's not cholesterol, okay? Cholesterol. You know who you are, all right? Dirty mind. This dirty C word has just been so much propaganda about how cholesterol is like literally the causative factor for heart disease. It's like the biggest risk factor according to conventional medicine. Still, it's changing now. It's changing so much versus when I talked about this five years ago, huge, huge strides have been made. 
we need to put this issue to bed, really. And so here's the big deal when it comes to cholesterol. The thing that just literally pulls it off the table is the fact that about 50% of the people who have high blood pressure, heart disease, hypertension, about 50% of the people who have these conditions don't have high cholesterol, all right? If cholesterol is the causative factor, how do 50% of people who have the issue, they don't have it? It makes zero sense because this is not the causative factor, right? Cholesterol tends to be around where things are broken. Like we talked about damaging blood vessels. Cholesterol is a reparative uh, compound. It's super important. Now, it's kind of like it's there doing its job. And since it's found there at the spot, it's blamed. That's like if there is a fire at a home and there are firemen there putting out the fire, working on the, but the firemen are present, so they must have caused the fire. That's the same kind of um, belief system that people are carrying in conventional medicine, believing that cholesterol is the issue. When in fact, here's some of the benefits and uh, essential nature of cholesterol. Number one, cholesterol is like the seed or the precursor for building all of your sex hormones, all right? So testosterone, estrogen, estradiol, all that stuff. You're not making it without cholesterol. You have to have it. It's super important. But guess what? Still, millions of people are on statins right now. Now, again, this is taking a big shift since some of this data has come out. But I want you to be educated and also the people that you might be working with, the people in your family, just understand the truth about what's going on with cholesterol. Not saying that it cannot be problematic, all right, because it can. But in a natural, um, in a natural context, in some of the things we're talking about today, cholesterol is getting blamed for something that it's just not responsible for. So number one, it's the seed. It's the precursor to building all of your sex hormones. Number two, it plays a critical role in forming and maintaining your cell membranes, right? So literally keeping your cells together, right? Maintaining the proper stru structure, you have upwards of 100 trillion cells. Cholesterol is kind of important. And the cell membrane is the part of the cell that is communicating with other cells, right? It's able to send and receive signals. If there is a lack or if there is malfunction or deficiency with cholesterol being able to do its job, your cells can't communicate properly. So again, pretty important. Also, cholesterol is used by your nerve cells for insulation. So this is something that's critical to insulate all of your nerve cells. If your nerve cells are not insulated, you become hypersensitive. You can be literally just your skin would be on fire from just the air hitting it. Kind of important, right? So these are just a couple of things. Also, building vitamin D. We all know now how important vitamin D is, right? It's just really, really critical. It's really a hormone, by the way, that plays many, many roles in human health. You need cholesterol to make it, all right? So with that said, pretty important. Just taking a drug because we have high cholesterol is a haphazard way to handle it, truly. And we have to take a better look at this. Because if somebody is in a state where they have uh, high cholesterol, you know, maybe they, their cholesterol ratio is a little bit off, it's not an indication that, that they're deficient in a statin, right? Oh, you got your hormone panel back, you're deficient in statins. That's not how it works. But that's what we've reverted to. And now we need to take a more 
uh, holistic approach in our understanding, right? Take, take the whole thing into consideration. And so with that said, I want to take you through to actually understand the role. How do, Because again, cholesterol can be a problem. But we're going to talk about how that actually takes place. So we know that there are different types of these cholesterol compounds that we talk about. Now, one of them is HDL, right? It's high-density lipoprotein, HDL, high-density lipoprotein. Then we have LDL, low-density lipoprotein. Now, when I said both of those words or both of those structures or, or series of words, did I say cholesterol? High-density lipoprotein, low-density lipoprotein. I didn't say the C word. I didn't say cholesterol because that's not cholesterol, right? It's not cholesterol. Those are carrier molecules, okay? Cholesterol is something that's packaged with those things, right? So even our understanding and how we're judging these things is a little bit off. So these carrier molecules, however, so we have the high-density lipoproteins. These are kind of like efficient. Uh, they don't tend to have issues getting caught up or... or causing issues where blood vessels might be damaged, anything like that. The low-density lipoproteins have a little bit more, because of their density, chance of having issues where they're getting caught up or stuck somewhere in our cardiovascular system. So with that said, this ratio is really the thing we want to be looking at and also triglycerides, but it's okay. Some people just genetically have higher levels of cholesterol, and the cholesterol markers are based on a population generally, the average that are recommended for unhealthy people, generally, right? That are considered healthy, but they're oftentimes eating the standard American healthy diet, which is high in grains and carbohydrates, the things that actually contribute to issues with our blood vessels. So now I'm gonna take you through, and I want you to go with me on this journey to understand how it's not the consumption of cholesterol, because right now in your body, about 90% of the cholesterol in your body is made by your liver, not from the food that you eat, not from eating cholesterol in food. That can be somewhere around 10% of the cholesterol in your body is from directly from eating foods that have cholesterol. So I want you to keep that in mind. Your liver is producing cholesterol. How does it go about this and how does it become abnormal and producing too much of the wrong kind? This is how it happens. So we're consuming carbohydrates. We'll just say uh, we're, we're knocking down a, uh, we'll go back to the do, right? We're doing the do. We're drinking a beverage, you know, a super big gulp. When I was a kid, my mom would have me go to the 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven, cross the street, huge. This was a major street. I didn't even go to the street light. Just run across. It's like six lanes. 7-Eleven. All right, 7-Eleven. I was like in third grade. I was like seven myself, right? And I would go in there and I would buy her a super big gulp or at this time they had the double big gulp, the double, super double big gulp where the, the container for the soda was so big, you had to fold it yourself, right? They're just sitting there like little boxes and you got to, and I'm like, again, I'm a kid. I'm like, I didn't know I was going to do arts and crafts. I didn't come to 7-Eleven for that. So I got to put it together, fill it with soda to go back and then let my mom poison herself, right? But while I'm going, walking out, of course, I get her a pack of cigarettes as well, okay? Yeah, this used to be real, okay? Kids could just buy cigarettes. 
didn't get any questions. You know, he didn't ask me for no ID, right? I mean, what kind of ID would I have anyways? And this was just the nature of the, of the game. And so consuming a dense amount of carbohydrates, maybe it's, you know, you have a couple of donuts, maybe you have a, uh, a big sandwich, right? I did the submarine sandwich, right? With the, the fancy bread, you know, have one of those. Um, even some high concentrated um, fruits, fructose, right? So this fruit sugar and other types of sugar as well, and just a lot of it, and we're putting that into our bloodstream. And what happens first is obviously we have the blood glucose, that conversion that takes place. So the sugar is rolling around in our blood and it can fill up our muscle glycogen. You know, maybe if we're active, you know, we're doing some, uh, you know, a little bit of exercise, whatever the case might be, we'll fill up the muscle glycogen first. Insulin is going to get activated to help to push that into the cells for reserve. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, insulin can't catch up to the massive amount of sugar that the average person takes in. And so what happens is your body's infinite wisdom is trying to protect us. So it cannot allow those molecules of glucose to just be swimming around in the, in the bloodstream because, again, it can tear up your blood vessels. This is why folks with uh, diabetes, where they have high blood glucose, tend to have loss of function and circulation to their extremities, right? Amputations often takes, take place because it's not getting out there to the rest of the body, okay? Because it's getting damaged. And so in your body's infinite wisdom to try to prevent that from happening, what it does after filling up your cells, your muscle glycogen, now it ships the rest of this glucose to your liver to fill up the liver glycogen, right? So it's filling up your liver glycogen. Now here's where it gets really interesting. This is where it really takes place with cholesterol. Once the liver glycogen is filled, and by the way, you can, you can do this pretty easily. Again, eating, at, we, we never had this kind of access to all this abnormal sugar in our history, but today we do. And so what happens when the liver glycogen gets filled, your body, again, in its infinite wisdom, cannot put that glucose back into your bloodstream and, and just blatantly take you out. So what it does now is your liver is able to convert the glucose over into something called palmitic acid, all right? So it can actually convert the glucose into something else and package it with cholesterol and other compounds. It's a process called lipogenesis, creation of fat that your liver can do. And these molecules that get created by your liver are now called VLDL. So it's not just low-density lipoprotein. Now it's very low-dense lipoprotein that got created by doing the do. That's how it works. All right, so now we have even more dangerous, potentially dangerous molecules flowing around, getting shipped various places in the body. And I want us to be more educated on this because it's not eating cholesterol in, in food. It's not an egg that's taking people out. It's not eggs. It's Lucky Charms. It's donuts. It's green smoothies without the green. I threw a, a piece of kale in there with two bananas. Congratulations, you played yourself and you just produce far more VLDL, all right? So with that said, no, no, no disrespect to green smoothies, by the way. Doing it the right way, it's awesome, okay? But we just want to keep in context, sugar is the causative factor with our cholesterol being out of whack. And so I want you to think about it like this. Think about your circulatory system, and we're talking about the human heart today and how it all is influenced and connected like 
roads, highways, we'll just, we'll keep it on a highway term right now. And we've got all of these vehicles on the road, right? High density vehicles, low density vehicles. Some are like little smart cars, right? They're energy efficient. Again, where they need, have you seen these little cars? Do you feel, have you ever just thought about like kicking one over? Like I could definitely kick that car over, right? People are just scooting along, doing their thing, saving the planet, right? Respect. And this, they can get in and out, pass by blockages and things that are in the way pretty easy, right? So it's not just about whether it's HDL or LDL, it's also the particle size. And that's something that you need to get tested. If you're concerned about having high cholesterol, make sure that your physician, you're getting a test done for the particle size. And if your physician says that they're not going to do that, get a new one, all right? Because again, just passing out a statin because of your cholesterol numbers being considered to be abnormal is, is dangerous. And here's why. Check this out. I mentioned how important cholesterol is to all these different functions in the body. What if we're taking a drug that suppresses the creation or the utilization of cholesterol? Here's what can happen. One of the world's most respected medical journals, it's the BMJ, formerly known as the British Medical Journal, published comprehensive data showing that long-term statin use increases your risk of getting diabetes over 30%. For certain groups of at-risk people, statins increase development of diabetes over 50%. What are we doing? All right, so again, this is about getting educated, becoming empowered. We've got to know this data, all right? Some of these things I've been talking about for years now, but I really want to have this comprehensive understanding of what's going on behind the scenes and that that is not a solution. Everything has its place. In the right instance, statins can be uh, a lifesaver for somebody. But in general, we're going to look at what's going on, creating the conditions in the first place, eliminate the root cause so we're not treating a symptom that's creating even more symptoms, if that makes sense. So this analogy with the cars on the freeway, right? Cholesterol is cars on the freeway. Vehicles, motorcycles, right? Whatever. It's a potential issue, but the real issue is inflammation, right? It's this abnormal blood glucose damaging blood vessels and the resulting inflammation that comes along with that and other lifestyle factors. The, the systemic inflammation causes issue for cholesterol getting through and doing its job and also getting in a place where it's holding up shop to try to repair the damage done like a cleanup crew. So systemic inflammation, if you're thinking about this highway analogy, this is like trash, you people throwing trash out the window, right? Uh, police officers, you know, they, they've got like, you know, one, there's a one car accident over here, but they're blocking off like five lanes for it. And the per they're okay. You know, no, no disrespect to the situation, but do you need to block five lanes, right? In LA, right? And so that can have a situation going on, uh, inflammation, it could be people getting out of their cars, doing the In My Feelings Challenge, whatever. All of these crazy things, are it's like inflammation. And so what does this translate to uh, in, in terms of our biology? Abnormal molecules in the blood from deranged abnormal fats, which we're going to talk about. This can create that inflammation. Abnormal stress hormones. We talked earlier about how stress hormones can increase our blood pressure, right? These are some of the core components that's actually causing the issue. The issue is not cholesterol, it's inflammation, all right? That's really lighting the match. 
and causing the damage. All right. And we're going to again circle back to this. So with all of this, I want you to let all of this process and, and, and digest and metabolize some of these key insights about what's really going on behind the scenes with blood pressure, right? Hypertension and blood sugar and cholesterol. This is a huge component of taking ownership over our incredible heart, all right? Over our incredible heart health and all the things that it's connected to. Now, this is something that's pointing to the fact that the heart is not just some random, simple pump. It's just, it's just pumping blood in and out and that's just all it's doing. No, 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 no. The heart is in fact a highly complex, self-organized information processing center with, in many ways, its own functional brain. In a sense, we have neurotransmitters. We have neurons in your heart tissue, right? Things that we delegate and just believe that it's, this has to do with the brain only actually resides in the human heart. We got some fascinating data to talk about in regards to that. So your heart is far, far more than just a simple pump. In fact, according to researchers at HeartMath Institute, quote, the heart generates the largest electromagnetic field in the body, 60 times greater in amplitude than your brain waves when recorded using an electroencephalogram or an EEG. So that's number one, 60 times greater electrical field as measured by actual instrument, right? Your heart has this electrical power greater than your brain. The biomagnetic field of the human heart is 5,000 times stronger and larger than the brain. So we've talked about this on some past episodes and being able to measure now, we can use instruments that measure the kind of uh, electromagnetic field that's radiating from the human heart. And it's super fascinating stuff because in some instances, it can expand out even eight feet from your body, creating what's called this tube torus. So just keep that in your back pocket for a moment. So let's go back and talk about the heart having its own brain, in a sense. Because there, again, are additional functions that your heart is doing because your heart, we'll call it the heart brain, all right? Your heart brain is composed of about 40,000 neurons that can sense, feel, learn, and remember, right? Data, memories can be stored in your heart. You have that kind of neurotissue in your heart. Super, super fascinating. And now the heart brain sends messages to the head brain on how the body feels, right? We know this is something we anecdotally experience. We have these feelings in our heart. We feel in our heart, not in our head, but we just kind of ignore it, right? And have you ever just really thought about that? Like, there is there an actual intelligence to the human heart? So up until the 1990s, scientists assumed that most of us, and also we were taught, that it was only the brain that sent information and issued commands to the heart. But now we know that it works both ways. In fact, the heart's complex intrinsic nervous system, the heart brain, which we've been talking about, is an intricate network of several types of neurons, neurotransmitters, proteins, and support cells. And research has shown that the heart communicates to the brain in several major ways and acts independently of the brain in many major ways as well. So this leads me to talking about something that might seem on the surface not very scientific, but it's something that's a part of our culture. 
and that we talk about and experience on a regular basis and talking about having heart, right? If, if there's a football player or, you know, somebody on the team, they might not be the best player, but they have a lot of heart, right? They really show up. They really bring their best. They really play with a lot of passion, right? That's having heart and our connection as humans. And this tube torus that gets created, right? This biomagnetic field that gets created by the human heart, again, being 5,000 times stronger than that of the brain. We see now there's research indicating that our fields that get created by our hearts influence each other when we're in the presence of other people. These interact. And so negative feelings can influence the, the the individual themselves and also potentially the other person. But positive feelings, positive emotions are even more effective stronger at changing the energy or the the energy field we literally can measure this now heart math institute has done several studies can change that magnetic field and have a different uh constitution of what the field is made of right super fascinating stuff so understand and i want you to take this with you today is that you bring it to it you bring the energy to the situation if there needs to be a change in energy when you walk into a room bring your best into the room Bring a sense of, of, of certainty, of confidence, of, of, of humor, of love, of compassion, whatever it is. Bring it to the situation. You're going to influence the people that are around you, all right? This is super subtle, right? Now, I'm not talking about something that is just like statistically, like we know so much about this. We're just beginning to understand. But we know in our hearts that this is the case. Like we know we've had experiences of feeling like, bad vibes and good vibes, right? From, from people, right? But I want you to understand that you, especially with positive emotions, positive feelings can influence and help uplift other people. This is why it's so important to have good people and community in our lives, because sometimes other people need to pour into us as well when we're struggling. All right. So I just want to share that with you and to get a greater understanding of what the heart is doing and what it's capable of. It's not just a pump. We do need that action. We do need the little. We do need the little pump, but it's also a, a little, a little powerhouse as well, right? For energy, for emotion, for trans, transmitting data throughout your body, for literally storing memories in your heart, right? It's not just a pump. It's so much more. And so, with that said, I want to get into some action steps. I want to get into some things now that we have a better understanding of what is influencing our heart health, understand that the heart is a muscle and it's striated, it's getting those striations, right? It's, uh, it's something that pumps involuntary, but it is having this pumping action because it is a muscle and it's doing this with ease and grace billions of times in our lifetime. And there are certain things in our blood that can potentially damage this function, right? because it's really this kind of super highway, our circulatory system, and your heart is a big hub for all of this. And also that your heart is not just that, it's also something that connects us, all right? So keep that in mind. So let's get into some action steps and look at some of the things that can help to prevent some of these problems and also add some, some insurance against many of these problems. And let's start with action step number one is eating for your heart health, right? Eat for heart health. And with that said, I'm going to start with, before we get to foods, let's get to some key nutrients. And there's none bigger 
in magnesium. Check this out. Research published in the American Heart Journal states that, quote, magnesium is important as a cofactor in several enzymatic reactions contributing to stable cardiovascular hemodynamics and electrophysiologic functioning. Its deficiency is common and can be associated with risk factors and complications of heart failure, end quote. This common deficiency is a big risk factor for heart failure, something we should be getting on a regular basis. Also, recently in a conversation that I had with Dr. Oz, he shared with me that this is something that they bring into the, the surgery room. As a heart surgeon, how important magnesium is. Check this out. Well, magnesium, just to finish on that, we actually give magnesium to patients on the, open, uh, on the table. During open heart wow. surgery, we use magnesium for a bunch of reasons. It's a, it's a stabilizer of membranes of cells, so it allows mm. us to predict how the heart's going to function better. We use it to reduce arrhythmias, irregular heartbeats. That's one of the first things I give people when they start having palpitations. So there's many, and again, you say, oh, it's magnesium, oh, who cares? You know, I'm telling you, it's a, dr- it's a drug. We use it. We give big doses of it. And it is a cofactor of a lot of other metabolic processes. So please don't underestimate the importance of some of this stuff. There you have it. So when it comes to meeting your body's magnesium needs, obviously food is super important. That's what we want to look at, food first. So what are some foods that are rich in magnesium, that are rich in the super heart-healthy, heart-necessity compound? Number one category, green leafy vegetables. It's an indication, that this green color is an indication that it's a rich source of magnesium. So uh, kale, collard, mustard greens, uh, bok choy. There's so many different ones to choose from. Having some variety and having some consistency in this is obviously of great importance for us living a healthy life overall but it's super important for maintaining heart health so are you doing this are you getting the recommended two cups a day of green leafy vegetables again kale spinach collard so many so many to choose from two cups a day is your is your is your goal right make sure no matter what i don't care what else you eat get those two cups in Right? We're not, I'm not taking anything away. Even if you were like, Sean, you know, like when I was talking about the Mountain Dew earlier, you were like, I do the Dew. Do your Dew. Just get these two cups in. All right. I'm not taking away the Dew. I'm not taking that away. I want you to add these in. We're not dieting. We're not doing that. We're adding in. Right. And so get your two cups a day to ensure a healthier heart. All right. And just health overall. Now, another great source of magnesium, chocolate. I'm just gonna throw this out there, all right? Check this out. Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology published research showing that dark chocolate seems to prevent one of the mechanisms implicated in atherosclerosis, which is white blood cell adhesion, right? So this is where we've got some damage to the blood vessel. Now we've got this inflammation. That's what these white blood cells are showing up and, and This adhesion is taking place, and this is when white blood cells stick to the walls of your blood vessels. Dark chocolate can help to prevent this. How? Right? Isn't that pretty miraculous for chocolate to do something like that? It said dark chocolate, first of all, so we're not talking all the sugar that comes in the chocolate. Let's get some high-quality good chocolate, right? Like 80% cacao, ideally, is the place to, to target. And maybe a little natural cane sugar 
in there, but no processed crazy stuff outside of that. All right. And just a little bit a day. It's got a lot of bang for, for the buck. And chocolate has just been associated with heart and love like for, for a long time in human culture. It's very romantic. Have you ever thought about where that came from? Why is that so associated with love? It's good for your heart. It just so happens to be. So definitely check that out. Chocolate, green leafy vegetables, uh, nuts and seeds. Hemp seeds are a great source of magnesium. And the list goes on and on. This is super easy to understand, but here's the issue. Magnesium is such an important mineral for the human heart. It might be the most concentrated place in, your, in the body for magnesium. But magnesium is an anti-stress mineral. It deals with a lot of stressors that we're exposed to. And so it gets zapped from your body really quickly. This is why it's the number one mineral deficiency. This is why also when, when patients were coming in to my, to my clinic, I would, if anything that I was recommending as far as supplementation, I really wanted to go food first, but magnesium was usually the first thing that I recommend if I was recommend, recommending supplements for people I was working with. And this is because it, you, need, you need a lot because we live in a hyper-stress state today. We're exposed to so much stress. You need magnesium there to help to balance it out. So with supplementation, I want you to be clear, you gotta get this, all right? Taking oral magnesium, if you take even a little bit too much, it hits what's called a bowel tolerance, all right? So if you have more than your body needs or, your, or, or that your bowels can tolerate, it will cause what we call clinically disaster pants, all right? You can have lay accident take place, all right? You get diarrhea, all right? So you got to be careful taking oral supplements of magnesium, okay? You cannot get your levels up to the place that they need to be for a lot of people taking them orally. This is why I love topical applications of magnesium. I literally, last night, I do this 365 days a year, at least 300 days out of the year, I'm rubbing ease magnesium into my skin and I've been doing it for years at least like half a decade now because it works all right so ease magnesium this is a super critical extract derived from the very best sources and it makes it over 99% absorbable company x magnesium lotion or spray whatever and it flakes up on your skin that's not that's not the stuff right there that's not the stuff this is the good stuff and I've had more people come up to me at events and just sending me messages about anything I've ever talked about, which I only talk about things that I love personally that I use. More people have told me their stories about using Ease Magnesium than anything else. Whether it's improving their sleep, whether it's improving their energy, whether it's getting rid of pain they've been dealing with, it's crazy. It's absolutely amazing, but it only makes sense because magnesium is responsible for over 325 biochemical processes in the human body that we know about. That's a lot. That means if you're deficient in magnesium, there's over 325 things your body cannot do or cannot do properly. This is why this is so powerful. So definitely, if you're not using Ease Magnesium, I highly recommend it. And again, you just spray it onto your skin, rub it in. Go to easemagnesium.com forward slash model. That's E-A-S-E-M-A-G-N-E-S-I-U-M.com forward slash model. And you get 15% off Ease Magnesium. And also they have the deep soak that you add to your bath water. Oh my goodness. It's just the best. If my body is disorganized, 
you best believe I'm doing the deep soak. It's just, it's amazing. It's amazing. So pop over, check them out. Again, that's easemagnesium.com forward slash model for 15% off. And so also with this magnesium, and those are just a couple of foods, by the way, and doing the supplementation, possibly a little bit orally, but mainly topically, some other foods for heart health. There's so many, but let's just drop in one or two more. Research conducted at Oklahoma State University and published in Nutrition Reviews found that the antioxidant polyphenols have a significant impact on cardiovascular health that reduces the risk of heart disease. Berries, right? All berries are good for you. Strawberries, blackberries, holly berries. Wait a minute. This real talk, berries are amazing. Blueberries, blueberries are kind of like the, the, the queen of the whole situation. They're the best, All right? So make sure each day get a serving, just one serving of berries in. So much benefit. Again, there's so many heart healthy foods and I'll put in the show notes a, uh, a link to a list of some heart healthy foods that has maybe some data to affirm, you know, a couple of links to some studies that talk about the benefits. All right, so uh, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about some things to avoid, foods that break the heart. Right, foods that break your heart. Sugar, we talked about this. We got to keep our blood ch- our blood sugar in check. This is a huge, th- dietarily, this is the biggest issue, is just managing the sugar intake. This does not mean you can't have cheesecake. Right? This does not mean we can't have sweet, good things in our life. But if this is the dominant thing in your diet and you don't have a well-balanced macronutrient and micronutrient intake for yourself, all the stuff we talk about here on the Model Health Show, we're setting ourselves up for heart problems. It's the number one killer. We don't have to have this like this right now. So it's managing our blood sugar. So if at all possible, avoiding processed sugar, right? Just if at all possible. On a daily basis, we don't need to be taking that in. On an occasion here and there, that's all right. Again, we're not taking that from you. But if you really want to protect your heart, sugar breaks your heart, all right? Don't go breaking my heart. Avoid it, all right? It's, it's, it's bad. It's bad stuff, all right? Sugar. It looks like a drug, right? It's a perfectly legal drug that we give to kids and to ourselves and just has to stop. It's just it's bananas and pajamas, all right? Speaking of which, that's probably bad for you too. Anyways, all right, so let's move on. Hydrogenated oils. Talked about this a lot on the show. Uh, 1993 Harvard study strongly suggests that the intake of partially hydrogenated vegetable oils contributes to the risk of having a heart attack. Why? Just don't. We sh- this has been literally moving out of more and more foods now because it's evidence... This data is out there, uh, this partially hydrogenated oils. The hydrogenated process, taking these, these PUFAs, right, these polyunsaturated fatty acids and exposing them to hydrogen creates a molecule that's very similar to plastic. It's like it's a, it's a, a shelf stabilizer for these crappy oils that just go rancid, okay? So keep this in mind. This quote, so-called vegetable oils, it's not kale. It's not from kale. Then squeeze the oil out of kale. It's not kale oil. It's not broccoli oil. This is soybean, corn oil, uh, canola oil. It's not even what it's marketed as. It sounds healthy, vegetable oil. 
deadly stuff. When we cook with it, it creates all these free radicals, bad for your heart. Hydrogenate the oils to make them more shelf-stable for crackers and peanut butters and things like that, bad for your heart. My grandfather, such a, uh, a model of, of, of what a, a good man and a good father is in my life. Not perfect, not perfect, but this was one of his things. He would get his, uh, he'd get his wonder bread, you know, his white bread. This was his thing. This is real talk. He'd get the, he'd get the syrup, right? I, I don't know if he was into Aunt Jemima or like uh, Miss Butterworth. Miss Butterworth kind of thick, so I don't know. Maybe that was the one. But so he would take the butter and then the, the, the syrup with, of course, high fructose corn syrup in it, right? And he would mix that on a plate with the peanut butter, right? The Peter Pan, the Jif, m- hydrogenated oils. Like it'll save like fully hydrogenated oils on it. Mix that together. That was his jam. Like this was his treat. And he did this a lot. And then he put the white bread down on top of the mixture of that. And I had a couple times. It was like, even as a kid, I was like, well, this is too sweet for my blood. Right? I'm eating candy. And I'm like, wow, this is like, it wasn't just sweet. It was also sweet and like, uh, grandpa-ish, you know what I'm saying? It's like immediately put hair on my young chest. I didn't want it, right? And so he's just consuming this stuff because this was the 80s. This is stuff that we think is healthy, right? We th- this is stuff that we think is okay to eat, but it's not, right? So avoid that stuff. Um, let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about dehydration in the context of our nutrition. Dehydration can cause high blood pressure and low bre- blood pressure. And we talked about this already. Check this out. Vanderbilt University Medical Center researchers found that when we consume water, it increases sympathetic nervous system activity and constricts our blood vessels, which prevents pooling of blood in our extremities. So this helps our blood vessels to pump, right? It's not, our heart isn't pumping blood to your toes. Like our, our blood vessels, arteries also have a pumping action too. It's silly. It's so silly so silly the things we don't think about right so it's this beautiful symphony happening in our bodies it's so amazing and water is critical to this process and these findings prompted the american red cross to conduct a study of water drinking as a method of reducing fainting responses right so they got people you know they're like i'm gonna give blood let's go let's give blood and then they faint right and they found that Drinking just 16 ounces of water before blood donation reduced the fainting response by 20%. Water, blood, water, blood. Drink water. What's the marker? About half your body weight in ounces is the marker. So if you're a 150 pound person, about 75 ounces of water is the target, right? Take that number, divide it in half, that number you get, you divide your weight in half, that's the number of ounces I want you to target as a minimum. And, and that can kind of capsize or max out at 200, right? If you're 200 pounds or over, 100 ounces, right? We'll just, we'll just cap it there. But a person, if they're more active, if it's hot and you're sweating and that kind of thing, probably a little bit more, right? But that's, that's, the, that's the bar, and I know you can do that. Keep the bottle with you, right? That's one of the big tricks, tactics. Keep the bottle with you. If you don't have a bottle and you get thirsty, what are you going to do? Keep it moving, right? Keep the bottle with you. If you've got a bottle with you, a, a bottle for water with you all the time, you're a gangster in my mind. I'm not messing with you, all right? 
So keep that in mind. This is what it's really about. Keep the bottle with you. Keep it filled up with that good stuff. All right, that's the secret. So now let's move on to some other action steps in associated with improving and protecting our heart health. And the second one is an action step or a few action steps related to exercise and movement. All right, again, having biomarkers for disease, high blood pressure, uh, abnormal stress hormones, abnormal cholesterol levels, again, it's not an indication that you're deficient on a drug. Oftentimes we're deficient on the things that give us life. We're deficient on the things that literally control our genetic expression. Like one of these for heart health, the very best exercise, the very best form of medicine is walking. Harvard researchers compiled data showing that walking reduced the risk of dramatic cardiovascular events by 31% and cut the risk of dying by 32%. These benefits were equally robust in men and women, and the protection was evident even at distances of just five and a half miles per week and at a pace of as casual a stroll as just two miles per hour. Two miles per hour so everybody sees you, right? So please understand, it doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot at all. You know, we're talking 20 minutes a day of walking. You get all this cardiovascular protection. Your heart needs it. It loves it. All right. Do your heart good. It's doing so much good for you. This is why we, we walk. It's not to get six pack, right? You're not doing the exercise so you're shredded, right? You're doing the exercise so that you can actually live. That's the thing. And you just so happen to have side effects of a better body when you do this. Also, doing too much of the wrong exercise can be an issue. Just getting out there, pounding the pavement. We're told this conventional uh, exercise approach of, you know, we need all of these minutes of conventional cardio, right? We've done episodes talking about this. So we'll put these in the show notes. Craig Ballantyne, the cardio myth. And it's fascinating to understand that. We see a U-shaped curve when it comes to conventional jogging and cycling, things like that, with the benefit. So if we're doing a little teeny, teeny little bit, we get some benefit. But then most of us are doing the kind of average, like we're doing three to four times a week, right? Because that's what we think we're supposed to do. Then we have the other end where it goes up again, the benefit, when people are like, they're, they're athletes, they're training for this stuff, they're doing it all the time. But in the middle, just doing this little bit of this, you know, 30 minutes of jogging three, four times a week, it's actually not that good for us. And so what we want to target is the exercise that actually holds up weight under scientific scrutiny. Now, pretty much all exercise is good exercise in some capacity. We just don't want to overstress our hearts, right? Especially if our hearts are not conditioned to do the kind of stuff that we do. And so the very best form of exercise is walking and also high intensity interval training. Funny enough, which might seem like, oh, if I have heart issues or I'm at risk, this might not be good for my heart. But in fact, it's very good for your heart. And um, this is something that Dr. Martin Gabala, who literally he's the guy in the lab doing the tests on high intensity interval training versus conventional cardiovascular training. And we had him on the show taking the muscle biopsies and all this stuff. And um, it's just really fascinating to see how much benefit we can get from doing short bursts of exercise. And actually, in such a small amount of time, you know, maybe 10 minutes of exercise total versus 120 minutes of conventional cardio that we believe we're supposed to do. 
Check out what he had to say. We demonstrated in the lab scientifically uh, our interval protocol now and where the title of the book comes from, The One Minute Workout. Uh, it's a bit of a teaser headline, but it really relates to the fact that the hard work is three 20-second all-out efforts. So we'd have people do a short warm-up, a 20-second all-out sprint, recover for two minutes, a second 20-second sprint, another two-minute recovery, and then that third and final 20-second sprint and a short cool-down. So the sprint group was doing 10 minutes of total time commitment three times a week, and we compared that to a group that was doing basically what you'd see in the public health guidelines, so 150 minutes per week of continuous uh, traditional steady-state cardio. So big differences between the two groups, 30 minutes involving only one minute of high-intensity exercise versus 150 minutes wow. a week of traditional cardio. And over 12 weeks, so three months of training, the improvement that we saw in fitness, so their measured VO2 max, which is a really important measure for health, uh, it, it links to your risk of dying from all causes, the increase in fitness was the same in the two groups. Uh, we measured that mitochondrial content that we were talking about earlier, same increase in mitochondrial content. Unbelievable. And we also measured something called insulin sensitivity. I know you're familiar with that term, but it's basically a, a measure of how the body processes and handles blood sugar. It's important for your risk for diabetes. And we found that the increase in insulin sensitivity, again, on average, uh, was the same in the two groups. So just a dramatic uh, illustration, I think, of the potency of this type of training. And so for our heart health, walking, Every day, this is one thing, and this is medicine. This is something that your genes expect you to do daily. And then high-intensity interval training a few times a week. That's the heart insurance right there. So let's move on. Another action step for protecting our heart health, our cardiovascular health, is to sleep smarter. Our sleep has a huge impact on the functioning of our heart, right? Sleep deprivation inherently comes with a cocktail of stress-related hormones and neurotransmitters and inflammatory compounds associated with heart problems. Now check this out. I'm going to read you directly. This is from my book, Sleep Smarter. Other studies show that sleep deprivation encourages cancer, Alzheimer's, depression, and even heart disease. One such study cited in the journal Sleep followed 98,000 people for 14 years and discovered that women who got fewer than four hours of sleep per night were twice as likely to die prematurely from heart disease. Now, in no way does this mean that the fellas are off the hook. Men are more likely to die from heart disease as it is. But add sleep deprivation to the mix, and you have a real recipe for trouble. A study reported by the World Health Organization tracked the results of 657 men over a 14-year period. They found that men with poor sleep quality were also twice as likely to have a heart attack and up to four times more likely to have a stroke during the study period. Heart disease is one of the biggest killers in the world today. Pulling back the veil and uncovering how sleep deprivation is a part of many of our health problems is one of the biggest steps in finding a solution. And so there you have it. Definitely abide by these principles and sleep smarter. There's 21 clinically proven strategies Again, if somebody's going in and they're having issues with their blood pressure, they're having issues with hypertension, uh, they're having issues just overall with their heart health, they need to be coached and instructed on how to improve their sleep quality. Oftentimes, this is a big causative factor that's just not being discussed enough yet. It's changing. Again, that's the good news. We've done a lot of work to make this change happen, but it's still not 
Still not done. We still got work to do. All right. So getting people this information is super important. And by the way, if you haven't read Sleep Smart, if you don't have a copy yet, what? What? Go get your copy. All right. Uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff. And of course, it's on Audible. And it's still, still um, a nationwide bestseller. It's an international bestseller as well. I think we've got like 20 different countries. We just published the translation in, in Russia recently. And uh, just so awesome. Very, very happy to, to see that, that this conversation is changing. All right, so follow those instructions and sleep smarter and improve your sleep quality to protect your heart. And finally, the action step we're going to look at has to do with stress, right? We talked a little bit earlier how we know that emotions and, and things like anger and, and, and frustration and, and worry and anxiety, these can all lead to issues with our blood pressure, hypertension, and overall impact our heart health. So what do we need to do about this? What are the, what are the real solutions here in relationship to managing stress? What are some action steps? Number one, a big part of our stress comes from our relationships. So having the audacity and having the heart to invest in good relationships, making it a mandate, making it a standard that you have people in your life that pour into you, that you interact with, that, that help to elevate you and lift you up and you do the same for them. It's one of the most important things in our reality. All right, so that's number one, invest in good relationships. Number two, do more things that make your heart feel good. Right? You have to give yourself permission to do the things that make your heart feel good, whether it's you know, time out, uh, playing sports with your, with your friends, you know, playing pickup games of basketball, uh, getting out and playing some golf, um, painting, roller skating, whatever it is, whatever makes you feel good. You have to allot time, schedule time every week for you to do things that make your heart feel good. You have to give yourself permission to do that. Also, another action step here is to have a practice in your life to help to downregulate, all right, to relax, to help to shut things down because that stress can just be chronic. That's where the real issue is and that creates inflammation in the body. So a meditation practice, that really jumps to mind. And check this out. So this is from Sleep Smarter as well. And this is chapter 16, Calm Your Inner Chatter. Research at the Medical College of Georgia in Augusta found that meditation lowered blood pressure and reduced the risk of heart disease and stroke. Numerous studies also demonstrate that meditation can reduce chronic pain and associated inflammatory biomarkers. All right, there you have it. Again, we've got clinical data showing that a meditation practice is something that can really help to manage blood pressure. Not a drug. This is free. It's just having the practice, having that skill. All right, so it's a lot of data in today's episode, and I hope you got some huge insights and a lot of value from it. And if you did, if you know somebody who is concerned about heart health, that this can be helpful for. If you just want to share um, some, some insights and some insurance for your friends and family to really be educated about their heart health, please share this out. You can send via email, share on social media, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. And of course, you can tag me and let me know uh, that you're out there and you're enjoying the show. All right. I appreciate it so much. So make sure that we're taking these action steps, eating heart healthy food, avoiding the foods that break our heart, engaging in heart healthy exercise, being able to have a practice to downregulate and making sure, of course, that we're sleeping smarter. These are obvious, simple things that the human body needs in order to really thrive. All right. These are things that control our genetic expression 
And if we're not abiding by these things, we shouldn't even be having a conversation about drugs yet. We need to handle these core things that our DNA, that our genes truly expect us to do. And again, our heart is not just a simple pump. The heart is a highly complex, self-organized information center. And this heart brain has immense power to affect change for us and also the people around us. All right, we've got some incredible shows and great guests coming up very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. I appreciate you so very much. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you've got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.